me. She said she'd be late. Hello. Rita will be late, but she'll be here. That's okay. We'll let her in the when she comes. Words so, of the first shoot in the shit in a very long time. Yes, welcome to the first shoot in the shit in a very long time. So we've had um a month and a little bit off because of various sort of family issues, things that have been going on. So um this is our first one back for uh, I think about six weeks but we are here on World Refugee Day 2022 to talk about women refugees so we're going to talk about the the challenges and issues that women refugees face um, and then how do we help them how do we support them generally how do we get them into the workplace what do they need from us once they're in the workplace how do we as employers support them lots and lots of things to get through so it's a nice nice gentle easy topic to come back on after a few weeks off uh, Hannah's there just coughing away uh, so first things first Hannah Weinhold what's your name and where'd you come from my name's Hannah Weinhold and I am from Grow Traffic and I'm here in Sheffield in the absolute glorious sunshine. Yeah, you've got much better sunshine than we've got. We have had sunshine. It's been a nice day, but yeah, I mean, you look phenomenally bronzed and glowing <laughs> and all summery and uh, bake up looks a little bit miserable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Rachel, I'm Rachel Weinhold. Where you come from? Rachel Weinhold from Bake Up. I'm Hannah Weinhold's sister, uh, other uh, founding member of Shooting the Shit. So good to be back. Good to be back. Hannah, anything exciting happened to you this week? Or last week? You had um, a lovely week off, didn't you? I was off work, yeah. I had a really nice week and I went shopping. And Primark have got trainers at the moment that have got that are white with like orange print or high tops that are white with lemon print. And I got the orange ones and they're bringing me all levels of joy. And I don't mm. care that you say I look like a toddler. <laughs> I love them. And I think it's going to start like a trend a for me into toddler wear, dressing like a toddler again. I did go through quite a big phase of dressing like a toddler and I quite like it. Is that when you were two? No, it was when I was 30. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to do the things that bring you joy, haven't you? Right. And if orange trainers, trainers with oranges on, brings me joy, that's what I'm going to do. I might go and buy yes. a second pair. What about you, Rachel? Good, good news, bad news, nice things. Well, things? yeah, I mean, uh, uh, those. Oh, Rishi's here. Let's let Rishi in. Um, oh, yeah, in. so oh, here she in. is. Here she is. Rishi in the Hello. House. Are you right, girl? Are you, okay. you okay? Yeah. I'm We're just doing. Uh, you're just doing things that have made us happy. So, and we're saying, because we've had a, 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 well, six weeks off. Um, so the thing that has made me happy in the last six weeks is that I've got a little foal. She's on yeah. foster from the from the local horse rescue charity. She's called Skip. She's eight months old and she's blinking lovely. She's so oh, tiny. <laughs> yeah, she's really Can't small, but she's really <laughs> yes, I know, I know. Well, at least, you know, I'm moving on from the rabbit, although I'm not because my rabbit is right here sat out in the sun with me. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So, Rish, what's your name? Where'd you come from? Oh, God, straight in. My name's Marisha. I'm from Leicester. I'm no longer in Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> but that's about it, really. So, uh, yeah, and, and the sun makes me happy. So the very yeah. presence of the sun, you know, over the past, you know, few days or whatever is... Uh, 
yeah, right up my street, to be honest. It does make yeah. such a difference, doesn't it? Like, I just doesn't feel it? as soon as I get that hit of vitamin D, as soon as I get the D, I'm much happier. Same, same, same. It is. And so what What happy things have happened to you, Reesh, since we last spoke? Happy things? I don't, yeah, I, anything I good happened? Think. Possibly. I, I very rarely look backwards. I just, like, once it's happened, it's done. I'm, I'm on to the next thing. So, you know. Okay, well, there. what happy things have you got coming up? <laughs> no, hang on, hang on. So, <laughs> I've got a, a new found fun time. I, I basically served gin and tonics for the Jubilee weekend, you know, so that Ooh. was something new that I've not done before. So, you know, that was all good. Um, good. That, that it, yeah. God, I it's, forgot it's, about that weekend. I know, it seems like such a long time ago, doesn't it? Okay, well there we go. Well let well let's move on to our very light and happy subject to bring us back after our little uh, break. Um refugees. So as I said before, World Refugee Day. It's always on the 20th of June, happens every year. It's a United Nations official day and it's a day to um, just recognise and acknowledge the the struggles that refugees are facing around the world and I think this year it seems to be even more pertinent than ever because obviously we've got the crisis in Ukraine, which as Europeans is right on our doorstep. That is creating a lot of refugees, a lot more refugees. So the United Nations reckons that at the moment there are about 100 million refugees in the world from various crises that are going on. So that's a, when you think about that in a proportion of how many you know, what the world population is. That's actually quite a lot, 100 million displaced people. Um, and obviously 50% of those are women. Uh, but as we will go on to talk about, women disproportionately um, face challenges compared to, to male refugees. They are shat upon from a great height by society in a number of different ways. Uh, and they face a lot of struggles, uh, re not only in, first of all, in trying to escape from the war-torn or famine-torn countries that they're, that they're from, but then when they find refuge in a new country, they, they face a whole new range of struggles uh, that make life very difficult for them. So, first things first, I have some facts and figures for you. Right, you ready? You ready for my stats? Okay. I'm ready, born One ready. Born ready. One in five women refugees will have experienced sexual violence. So that's either rape or One sexual assault. One in five. Assault. I am One amazed. Five. That, I'm amazed that that's not higher. Yeah, I, I thought actually that was that was quite a conservative estimate. But yeah, that well, that's especially that's, when you think that in Egypt, for example, um, ninety-eight percent of females have experienced yes. sexual assault yeah so I think like, the bar that is... for that is quite high so I think they're counting that as kind of serious sexual assault or rape um but yeah one in five women will have experienced that trauma um women and children make up the majority of the people forcibly displaced from the war in Syria mainly because the vast majority of the men have been killed They've been killed mm. fighting. So women are the, the vast majority of people fleeing Syria. Um, <clears throat> I've already said 50% of refugees internationally displaced um, are, are women and girls. 
So, uh, you know, obviously that's a, a huge chunk of, of women and girls. When we sort of talk about women refugees, we are talking about girls as well, so chil children. Um, Again, I would have thought that that would have been higher because of the aforementioned men are dying and yeah, staying Yeah, and it, I think there's, there's mixed factors here. So, again, you know, a lot of people always say, like, well, why are the men the refugees? You know, a lot of the time, and we will talk about this a bit in a minute, the men are the ones that have the means to get out of a country. So they generally are the ones that have got the uh, better educational uh, qualifications. They've been better trained because they will have had careers in their original country. And also, you know, the women often, they've got their elderly relatives to look after. They've got children to look after. Quite often what families will do is they will say, look, you know, you're the able-bodied man. You leave you go to a new country, you find work, you find us a house and we will then follow. So the women tend yeah. to stay back with the children, with the elderly relatives and then follow their husbands in a few years. And that's why often when when you see all this sort of negative dogma about refugees and they go, well, they're all, they're, you know, they're not women and children that are struggling. They're, they're all fit and able-bodied men. Why don't they stay in their country to fight? And the answer is because they are the best person out of a family unit to be the ones to go and start a new life and find it. So yeah, 50% of the people fleeing now are still women. So complex, isn't it? It's complex. Mm. Um, and my final fact is that refugees are bearing the brunt of the COVID-19 um, crisis globally, naturally because they haven't got access to decent healthcare. They haven't got access to vaccines. You know, they're often stuck in, in very, very crowded conditions as they travel, as they migrate, as they then get to refugee camps. They're stuck in horrendously cramped conditions and, and diseases like that just absolutely sweep through refugee camps. So they are absolutely at the, the sharp end of the COVID-19 crisis globally. Yeah, and just, like, like hygiene is is harder to mm. maintain and mm. nutrition is harder to maintain as you know doing the, doing the ration challenge and like, there's a lot yeah. of reasons why they're incredibly vulnerable to it and yeah absolutely nobody gives a shit yeah and i mean just just on the you know that i don't want this to be the rachel's ration challenge podcast at all but you know uh, the, the the rations that that you get you get rice and you get some pulses you get a little bit of flour you get a little bit of oil and that's it there is no fresh fruit there's no vegetables there's no protein you know it's carbohydrate it's stodge it's designed to keep you alive and basically fill you up but there's no nutritional value to it whatsoever so you know when you think about what is somebody going to need to keep their body fit and healthy there's nothing in there that's going to do that there's no nutrients there's no vitamins you know they're, they're absolutely you're immune to, I mean I just do it for a week and I'm constipated to hell and I feel tired and sluggish by the end of the week you know it, it's just horrendous it really is so yeah so I have some statistics for you this is a not in the slightest bit fun quiz are you ready ready so, what percentage of women refugees do you think have experienced violence? And by violence, we mean severe violence, violence that leaves bruises and broken bones and, and things like that. Uh, well, I would say like 80%, 90%, but based on the one in five, I don't know. What do you reckon, Rish? I, my, I was going at 80% as well, actually. So 75, mm. 80%, something like that. Oh, yeah, Reese, you're almost spot on. 70%. 70% Ooh, of women. Now, as I said, that's statistic. that's severe violence. Yeah, that's not just yeah, you know, a, a little bit. Like, yeah. yeah. Something that causes yeah. 
Yeah, broken bones, actual physical damage. Yeah, seventy percent of women. Um, how many? What percentage of women do you think has been raped? Twenty. Uh, uh, <laughs> this is this is globally. So the statistic I gave you before was the ones that end in the UK, the ones that that find their way to the UK. So this is how many women globally refugees have been raped. Ninety. Not quite. Okay. Not quite. Yeah, you're, you're no, a bit over. I, I, I think as well that that's something that would probably go undocumented. So I reckon it'd be mm. quite low. So mm. I think it might be more, probably, maybe even less than fifty percent. Because I don't. Yeah, I just don't think it'll be that's collected. A good point. Yeah, yeah, Rishi's on the money. And it's it's 44%. And I think the thing that we've wow. got to think about in that as well is that, you know, we've got to think culturally. Um, and a lot of it could be into relationship, you know, into marriage rape, stuff like that, which which some women might not even consider to be rape. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's documented as 44%. But I bet, you know, if we really dug into that statistic, it'd be a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Um, what percentage of women globally, refugee women, do you think have been tortured? Held captive and tortured. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> that is horrible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right, Hannah. Yeah, spot on 30%. Oh, my God. Yeah. This, yeah, terrifying, isn't it? That and that's that could be used rape as as a, a means of torture. So that is women mm -hmm. who are trying to escape from their from their home countries, and they have been captured and they have been tortured, and or they've been tortured because they think like that they're, they're they're used as a weapon. Women are weapons of war, aren't they? Yeah. They're means yeah. of getting to the men. So they will capture wives and mothers and and girlfriends and stuff, torture them as a means of manipulating the men to either join the cause or, or give some information or whatever it might be so yeah 30 percent which is terrifying um what percent of women have uh have or will will self-identify as having mental health issues uh i think that'll be high i don't i mean i don't know how you couldn't have mental health issues if you're a refugee and your life is mm. turned upside down yeah, I, well, it's, it's, that. I was like, well, but would they identify? Would they self-identify? Was it? Is it? That's just what I'm going through. Therefore, I have to do it. I just have to put up with it. So, I mean, this is the issue, isn't it? So, the, the figure is fifty percent, and twenty percent mm. of those are classed as having acute mental health crisis. So, you know, severe PTSD and stuff. But you're absolutely right. You know, they are they are not living our life, you know, and yeah. you think at the start of it, yeah, you might say, oh God, this is a mental health crisis. But actually by the time you've lived through one, two, three years of war, and then you've escaped and you're in a new country, you know, by that point, you might, you know, your, your, your definitions of how Survival. you class yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And last one, what percentage of refugees are classed as destitute as a, according to the, um, the classification by the World Economic Forum? So living way, way under the poverty line. I would say 75%. Do you know what? It's 20. It's 20%. And again, yeah. And I think, again, this is down to the way this is classified. Because what you've got to think is the, the number of, you know, by the time they are refugees, yes, of course, they're living under the poverty line. But the people who are 
able to escape from countries the people who have got the means and the because to get into another country you know you've got to meet certain criteria so you've got to be educated haven't you you've got to have professional qualifications you've probably got to be a doctor or a solicitor or whatever so actually the people that are able to get out of these countries are actually the they're the high middle class and the upper class you know the working class those mm. living in poverty they've got no bloody chance no chance whatsoever so yeah technically 20 percent a class as destitute but i mean that's a that's a really I phenomenal that's absolute isn't it like like we do tend i don't know if this is like a kind of hangover from imperialism or what but we do tend to think of them as being incredibly poor or you know uneducated mm -hmm. and actually they're they're just normal people that have had their lives turned upside down and like you say they've managed to pay someone to get out of a country and if you haven't got the means to do that if you're already not financially well off you're fucked yeah. like you're never gonna well, you're never gonna get out yeah i mean that's it if you look at the sort of the criteria to get into britain you know if you want to come here you've got a we've now got this point system of Australia haven't we but you've got to be you've got to be of a certain level if you in of professional skills a certain skill set as you say educational um, attainments have got to be reached and and even if you're not going down that official route even if you are fleeing and, and seeking asylum you've got to have the means to pay for that so you've got to either legally be able to pay for the for the plane and the boat tickets or you've got to be able to pay a smuggler to get you out of the country and they charge thousands and thousands you know people are selling everything they have in order to just pay the smuggler to get them across the border so you know these are already they've got to be people who have means in order to get out yeah. otherwise you've just got no chance and and that's the the sad thing if you think then by the time they get to this country and they have or whatever country they're going to you know they've got all those additional barriers so talk to me about what challenges you think women refugees in particular will face when they've got out of a country and they're they're either on their way to or in uh, a country of refuge um i think I think obviously language is a big one. Um, you know, I can't imagine having to pick up and go to a new country and try and figure out the language as soon as I get there. Um, and then financially, you know, you might not be able to access your accounts and, and anything that you do have. You've just literally dumped yourself in a new country with very little. And um, I know as well as a lot of bureaucracy that is a huge barrier that people have separated from their families when they first arrive and they're not allowed to see them and like when our I know our dad wasn't a refugee but when he first came to this country his his he and his mum and his siblings had to go to one hostel and his dad had to go to another because they weren't allowed to mix and they didn't see his dad for ages and stuff and that's still the practice mm -hmm. isn't it yeah yeah and that's it yeah they, they separate families i think that financial point is really worth mentioning because back to that point of you know you've got to have the means but a lot of people they have to liquidate every asset that they've got before they can leave i mean you know probably not likely to be able to sell your house but they're going to sell every other thing that they've got so that they can have cash because if once you've left that country you're not gonna be able to access your savings account or whatever are you it might stay there but it'll be frozen for a while so you know mm. they're literally selling all of their possessions in order to come with a wad of cash and then what do you do with it when you get here you haven't got an address you can't open a bank account 
you know, you, mm. it, it, I mean, the, just the thought of it is terrifying. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to travel across Europe next month to get to Mallorca by train and, and bus and, and taxi, you know, and, and that's scaring me. If you think if you're coming with your entire world in a bag and you've sold everything and you've got your water cash and your mobile phone and that's it, it I just think, oh, oh. Yeah. Cheerio. I mean, where, how do you even figure out where you're going to go to like mm. get help? Like, what do you do? Just turn yourself in at the nearest yeah. police station. <laughs> I think it's that. I mean, yeah, for me, it's that I, I don't know how else to put it, but there's that constant fear. Surely there's, there's got to be, you know, like, of, you know, are you safe? Basically, like, if you, like you say, if you get to somewhere and you go to a, you know, the authorities that are there, are they, are they just going to send you back? You know, are they going to do this, that and the other? It's like, you know, the, just everything, you know, all, all that, you know, crap that they've already had to tell me to get to wherever they've gone to. And then, you know, there's the whole bunch of issues when you get there as well, you know, not yeah. counting. And I think you that's... Know, people are towards, you know, people that are seeking asylum mm. or people that yeah. are refugees. There's that, that whole, you know, thing is, you know, sound different, look different, you know, therefore they're, they're, they're less worthy than we are. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. And that trust in authority is crucial because, again, you've got to think they're coming from a country where they couldn't trust the authorities. That's why they're fleeing. And, and you know, most refugees, they're intelligent people, so they understand when they get to a country, they're probably the pariahs, they're not wanted. So, again, who are you going to trust? How do you know who you can trust and who you can't? How do you know who's a people smuggler and who isn't? You know, you, you, you can't just turn up a police station. They'll send you away. So what are you going to do? I think, as well, we need to think about the sort of culture, particularly for women, this is an added barrier you know quite often they're coming from very patriarchal societies quite religious societies we think particularly about sort of Syria you know a lot of women their husbands will have been the ones that dealt with everything their husbands will have sawed the mortgage and opened the bank account so you've then got that added cultural barrier that all of a sudden you know they're, they're probably on their own they're in a strange country they don't speak the language and they're not used to going out and doing things for themselves and seeking employment and blah 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 so you know that again that must just be even more terrifying mustn't it i think as well like with seeking employment it's very difficult to get a job without a national insurance number and you can't get a, you can't get a national insurance number like quickly can you or or like how would you even access money or an income or um it's very difficult they kind of get put into the system and then left to fester and a lot of countries don't let refugees work for the first you know yeah. however many months in some cases it's years after they arrive so they've got yeah. that barrier what you know what you're supposed to do you just you just sit there waiting for a system that you are unfamiliar with to deliver you the things that you need to go and get a job and and support yourself and all the rest of it while everybody hates it because you're not working. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of a lot to be said for I mean, obviously we talk from a, a UK perspective, UK centric perspective mainly, but you know, I'm sure a lot of countries are also not not properly equipped to be able to deal with refugees or for people seeking asylum. So there, there's actually mm -hmm. not the, the the right mechanisms in place to be able to do anything, you know, to help them or to support them not properly. Um, and I say that only because I've had a very small insight into 
um, the the Ukraine crisis because I've I've worked on a project um, for Ukraine, and you know there's there's been you know part of the conversation is yeah but those displaced Ukrainians want to work they don't want to just go yeah. to a country and you know and and take from society whilst they're there they're more than capable they've like you say had the means to be able to get out and whilst they're there it's it's a stopgap as far as they're concerned you know, I want to work back here I want to send my money I want to be able to earn so I can go back home when this is all done. Yes. Yeah. And actually, a lot of countries are like, oh, shit, they're in now. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> So, and that's yeah. that's a really important point as well, Reese. You know, this is the thing we, we we look as we get we often because of the media we get the you know the words migrant, asylum seeker, illegal immigrant, all the rest. You know, they're interchangeable. But a lot of refugees, it's a stopgap. They want to go home. They didn't ask for this to happen. They weren't voluntary economic migrants. You know, going somewhere. They were fine, and then their country was torn apart, and their lives were turned upside down, and they're coming somewhere to find safety but they want to go home so you know we've got this mindset i mean at the minute we're putting them on planes or we're trying to and send them to rwanda and process them and blah blah blah. after everything they've just been here to get you know been through to get here and you just think just give them a, a safe bed for you know a year and then they can go home when things have calmed down hopefully i will never but, understand. yeah um uh, i think one yeah. of the uh, oh, go on sorry i will never understand that um um, I, migrants no, are the baddies on, and migrants are an, you, I think you've got a delay Rachel um, migrants are the baddies and migrants are you know an economic drain I will never understand that because uh, like just on a human level like have a bit of fucking empathy for, for other people and put yourself in that position and also like be here if it wasn't for for migrants and you know we, we wouldn't you know like, we wouldn't be yeah exactly yeah I like, have a little bit of fucking empathy for people and also like people don't understand basic economics do they like if if you're giving people <laughs> if like you're giving people benefits they're spending the bloody money in the country that they're getting the benefit in and paying tax like for the love of god I just don't get it like how you yeah. can and if anybody can shed some light on that how you can possibly think that these people are like 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 Kate, that Katie, what's her name said, or the what does she call them? Like a plague or something of yeah of migrants. Like, how, isn't it? Like, surely there's a the media's got yeah. the, the huge amount, of, you know, a huge part to play in in the bullshit that they kind of spread, you know. And yeah, but they're also feeding into what people actually think, aren't they? Like it's, it's chicken true. and egg. Yeah, this is also mm. true. It's um, you know, we I think we do like to think that we're very, you know, far ahead and forward thinking as a country, but you know, that a oh lot, a lot which shows that we're not we've got a long way to go, right? Mm. Yeah, like the media is responsible for some of it. They're they're giving a platform to it, but it's not like two hundred like horrible dickheads in fat cat suits, like telling the rest of people like they are giving the people what they want to hear and, and people are spouting it back and people believe it and you know it's not it's cyclical it's not cyclical it's it's what's the word like it feeds each other self-fulfilling prophecy self-fulfilling yeah. yeah 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 so like i think we are just uh, as a race very fucking mm. unpleasant and so again you know this is the this is the thing that adds again to that burden <laughs> you are <laughs> 
I always love these uplifting calls that we have, girls. <gasps> yes, yeah, yeah. Cheer us up. They cheer us up. As a species, yeah. we are the pits, aren't we? So, anyway. Yeah, and this Anyone is it. So we, we, we make we make it even harder, don't we? You know, again, these these women are all we're already facing all of these challenges and, and we make it even harder. So let's let's move on to getting getting women into the workplace. So refugee women into it? the workplace. How yeah, do we fix so it? Yeah. Said, how do we solve this? How do we solve it? So, I mean, one of the problems that we have is, again, going back to that sort of gendered patriarchal society that a lot of people are coming from. You know, I'm not saying ours is perfect, but but we are a bit sort of further on. But a lot of the time then the, the women ha- are coming, they have tended to be, if they have been employed in their in their country of origin it will tend to be in roles that are sort of caring related so they'll tend to have been teachers they might have been nurses um you know social care workers that sort of thing the problem is that then come into this country and that they, they might if they've even brought their qualifications with them you know do they translate into what we need in this country so one of the biggest barriers that 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 fe- we face as sort of employers getting people in is how does somebody prove a skill set so we might be employing them for a certain job if they haven't got the qualifications or they can't demonstrate that, you know, how are we going to um, see the level of skill that they're at so that we could employ them? Discuss. I mean, I used to work on what was then the A4E project, which was getting long term unemployed people back into work. So people that have been claiming job seekers for a long time back into work. And there were a few few people on it that were really overqualified. And there were a couple of people that were uh they were i don't know if they were migrants or if they were refugees but there was one bloke and he was like a top-notch stonking software engineer and he couldn't get a job in a factory sexing chickens because Mm. he couldn't like he couldn't communicate his skills in his in like the language that he was learning english efficiently the Mm. software and the and the and like the programs that he was used to were slightly out of date because he'd not been because he'd not been working for a couple of years because of everything that had been going on and nobody would give him a chance because I yeah. think probably like systematic racism um <laughs> and it was a real shame and and I don't know if he ever managed to find a proper job or if he just spent his life packing shelves and sexing chickens I mean there is a there is a statistic that I shared on on the on the social media page this afternoon about I think it was 1.4 billion um in lost revenue they think from from not employing women into the workplace so basically if we put all the w- women refugees into the workplace they would contribute 1.4 billion to the global GDP and and that is what we are losing by not doing so you know we're losing a huge amount of resource and potential money but playing devil's advocate here you think if you are an employer there are you know there are so many additional things that you're going to have to do to employ a refugee so they're going to have to be really bloody worth it otherwise I might as well employ a, you know a British person who's already here and got the qualifications got a national insurance number and blah 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 so you know you can kind of see why they don't but you know the first thing that we've got to do as a society if we want employ refugees to get into employment is we as employers have got to bloody employ them and if that means proving the skill set by doing you know 
different types of assessments or, you know, judging people based on, uh, you know, giving them a chance, basically doing trials, that sort of thing, or maybe having some sort of, um, you know, intermediary assessment of a, a college of basic language, maths, that kind of thing, then, you know, we've got to do those things. But basically, we've just got to start employing them, haven't we? But I do think there are a lot of governmental barriers to employing, even just not a not a British national. Um, yeah. And I think it needs to come from from the top as well. It needs to be a lot easier for employers to employ someone that's not a British national. Mm. There is certainly a lobbying piece that can be done there. So once we've got people employed, um, then the next thing that we're going to have to do is is offer support. And there's two sort of sections to this. One is um, training. So they're probably going to need things like um, computer skill, you know, additional training courses. So IT skills, they're probably going to need things like extra language classes so learn how to speak English um, they're probably going to need um, you know additional support in the sort of practicalities of of doing their job and managing their time and all the rest of it uh, and then we've got additional mental health support so again thinking back a lot of people a lot of women they're going to be suffering from PTSD they're going to have massive trauma uh, burden based upon them um, and they're probably going to need help with things like childcare you know they're not going to know where to source childcare um, mm. there might be a cultural barrier there in that you know leaving your children with a stranger is not something that's normally done you know normally that they, they would have the extended family as the support network so leaving your child with a, a stranger a child in order to go to work that might be a mental barrier for somebody that they're going to have to overcome and as an employer you know we've got to help support people through that so you know there are a lot of aspects to that providing additional support which again comes back to potentially why employers are not doing it yeah i do think there's there is quite a lot of support that comes through the job center so the job center will support people onto esol courses so english as second or other language courses to help it's assuming that they're working with absolute idiots and often obviously a lot of the times they're not i wonder if there's any agents or anything that work exclusively with refugees and asylum seekers to help them find work you know kind of so like a recruitment match them up right yeah there are and i'm going to put the links in i've got a few links from a few charities that do that so i will put them in the chat later but yeah i mean it's a, again it's a kind of mix of of really practical support and, and kind of more general support hannah stop playing with your microphone you're making a, a horrendous noise oh, I'm <laughs> stop fiddling with it that's all right just hold it steady um it sounds like you're in a wind tunnel um but yeah i mean things like you know just helping people get on the right bus at the right time you know, all that sort of stuff. Again, back to language barriers. That's going to be really hard if you don't know the area, isn't it? So, yeah, but there are charities that will help people and, and be advocates for people as well. Um, in that sort of things. I was just going to say, I think it's, uh, you know, there's, I'm going to say it because it's, you know, it's a shitty thing to say, but it's, you know, I think it, it is part of the conversation. And, and as an employer, like how difficult is that to navigate? Like, the, and yeah. it, it's almost like a, okay why should why should my business have to have to do all of that have basically to you know, yeah. have to you know kind of make you know have to not have to help somebody I don't think it's that it's more the fact that all of these things are essentially you know it requires cost it requires time it requires people 
um, you know, and, and, you know, employers, especially in the UK, are struggling at the best of times. Not all, you know, yep. but it's fucking hard work, you know. Yep. So we can barely do that for, for people that are within the country as it is, let alone to, mm. to support, you know, any people that are, you know, coming into these spaces as well. So I don't have an answer for it, but it's it's a really difficult, you know, thing to, to kind of balance, you know, in, in, in that, you know, as a, you know, personally yeah we'd love to do that and we'd love to be able to help and to provide all of these kind of you know services and, and support and things like that but but actually you know is, is it actually achievable it's it's not and, and that's genuinely think that's why we have to be really upfront and honest about this and have that conversation because you're right it's what we said before if you are just an employer of a small to medium business why are you going to employ a refugee when you have to provide all of that additional support care train the rest of your staff to be compassionate and understanding and, and mitigate the circumstances you know you're just not you're going to employ somebody from the UK so it has to come from government they have to provide employers with um, you know the incentives whether that be financial or, or practical whatever it is if they don't provide that employers are not going to do it back to square one you know refugees particularly women are not going to get jobs and therefore they are just going to sit there and be a drain on society so i think it's really important Rich, that, that we do say that's what the situation is because there's no point denying it is there hannah i think i think the way to look at it is a bit like employing like it's like how women got jobs or disabled people get jobs rather than saying as an employer, right, I'm going to go out my way and I'm going to go and find myself a nice refugee to come and do this job. <laughs> I think you need to say, am I making this job open to everyone? Is yeah, my yeah. job advert? Is my workplace? Are my processes and practices suitable for everybody and remove the barriers there? And then if there's, you know, slight barriers about, um, kind of getting them getting all the paperwork sorted and everything then there should be places where you can go and get help but it's about hiring the perfect person for the job regardless of their background their ethnicity their refugee status their disability yeah. their gender like all the other things that that you would do if somebody was from was from britain so it's kind of just saying hire with with parity and and is that the word i mean rachel and yeah um, yeah equity yes equity yeah, yeah. higher yeah. with equity it's yeah, very absolutely. you're absolutely right yeah it's really difficult and also like a lot of people will have like subconscious bias i was absolutely mm. going to say that same thing you know yeah. just out and out you know any kind of job role you put out there's an instant whether you like it or not or you know you've got to be aware of that bias and you know a lot of people mm. aren't you know I think that because that we're back is. to that even though we are lovely liberal lefty feminists you know we are every single person in the UK has, has been subject to this diatribe of of absolute you know abuse that the media has put out for decades now yeah absolutely and you know nobody is immune to that and you are you know even things like you know well are they going to be reliable you know are they going to be trustworthy if they've if they're that suffering from that much trauma how do we know that they're even going to be able to do the job and not go off sick every five minutes you know absolutely those are employers will look at it in those black and white cold hard facts what's the bottom line for my birth for my for my business you know somebody i don't know who's commenting i'm really sorry because i can't see your name but 
But the, the comment is, it's definitely a big investment and you would want to know you would get that back from a capitalist perspective. And that's how businesses, no matter how nice and lefty and liberal and friendly and loving and, and supportive a business owner is, you've got to look at it in black and white, money in, money out. Is it going to be a drain on my business or is it going to be a boon? And, and you well, know, the that's... Is, I think the crux though is to say this person has all these amazing skills don't look at the name don't like so like speculate on where they're from look at the skills give them a fair crack and hire the right person regardless of mm. their state it's mm. back to that so you're not looking at like the oh do i have to pay a little bit extra because they need this this and that or is it going to take me longer to train them or whatever look and, and hire for skills and competencies rather than Oh, I'm going to hire Brian because he's like, you know, he already speaks English fluently and that's going to be easier, even mm. though he's a bit shitter, you know, kind but of. But that's, I mean, that's, that's exactly what it should be. And that's a lovely utopia, but we're still back. That's just the recruitment stage. And we're still then back to the fact somebody gets to the recruitment stage and they realize, you know, oh, actually that's a refugee. I'm going to have to provide language. I'm going to have to help them with childcare. I'm going to have to give them extra emotional support, uh, potentially, you know, occupational health because they've lived through trauma and violence and rape. And, you know, now I've got all these additional, right, let's go back to Brian because actually Brian was not quite as good, but he's going to be an easier hire. And until the government provides that, that yeah. additional support and it's there, it's just not going to happen. Anyway, I, I've noticed time is marching on. Time is marching on. Go on, Hannah. Quickly. Last part. Well. Oh, go on. Go on, Reesh. What's your question? Go on, Hannah. You go. I was just <laughs> going to say, like, that's where agencies are going to help, where you could ring up and say, you know, you don't necessarily have to hire from them, but you could say, I've got this applicant and I, and I want to hire them, but I don't know where to go with it. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. True. Go on, Reesh. What's your question? Well, so I was, it, it is for, for discussion, and I just think it's, maybe not one to go into given the time, but is there is there something to be said for we we come at this conversation in the you know in the business space of being from you know a small small businesses or you know you know there's not like hundreds of people. But is there something to be said for the the corporate space that they're kind of stepping in and getting involved in and lending a hand for want of a better term, you know, in, in this kind 100%. of conversation. You know, it's yeah. it's they have the means and the capability and the, the money essentially to kind of get involved in and actually provide and also, real Yeah, and it's not a bigger burden, you know, and I don't mean this in a, in a horrible way, again, looking at it practically, you know, if you've got a team of yeah. five employees and one of yeah. them needs additional support, that is, has a massive impact on your business. If you've got a team of 5,000 people, and one of them needs additional support your business can absorb that so absolutely you know those bigger corporations that they're, they're gonna have to help bear the brunt of this um and but you have moved us nicely on there rich because i just want to finish on the sort of things generally that that anybody can do not looking at it from an employer point of view but how, what can we do as as normal citizens um to support refugees and yeah you know there's all the obvious things as you can you can make donations of clothing and sanitary products and financial contributions and all that you know i'm doing the ration challenge to raise money all of that kind of stuff um but there and you can share information and help change the narrative about how refugees are seen there's, there's all of that kind of practical stuff but also there is a lobbying piece there and that lobbying piece is you know sign a petition uh, go on a march contact your mp whatever your level of, of lobbying you feel comfortable with or are able to do but basically we've got to change 
the regulations. We've got to change the, the support from government, as we said, financial and practical. Um, and until ordinary people lobby for that, it's not going to happen. The pressure isn't there at the minute. So if we're talking about, you know, what can what can everybody else do besides the small business owner? It is that, in my opinion. Yeah, I think as well, like just as small business owners, fight that subconscious bias when, when you get around to hiring and make sure that your business, your policies, your processes, your adverts and everything are equal and, and give everybody equal opportunities. But I do think it would be... I hope that in the future, this conversation is um, similar to the conversation that will have happened around hiring women. So, you know, mm. making it, a, a, you've got to fulfill a quota to hire women. And, and now where it's people with learning difficulties or disabilities, you've got to fulfill a quota to hire, to hire people with additional needs. And I think maybe if we legislate, that there is a quota to fulfil, then the stigma will be dissipated slightly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else as well you think people ordinarily can can do to support? Uh, I feel like you've already told me the answer to this, and I should be able to remember. We're going on basically. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think you're the best, everyone. Uh, yeah. Even the Daily Mail. <laughs> Yeah. newspaper and and do your damnedest <laughs> i think as well you know there's there's the hashtag isn't there you know we stand with refugees and i think being an advocate it is one of the best things that you can do you know obviously if you've got the skills to help if you've got the means to collect things and and practically help oh, and start a, a sport group you know all that fine you know absolutely do that but if you just haven't got that if you're just a normal busy mum trying to do your best on a daily basis just be an advocate be an ally and and try and amplify the voices of refugees so as i said before you know there's loads of infographics out there facts figures statistics just share it on your social media just just do whatever you can to to show a bit of solidarity with people as i said try and change that narrative Go on, you, if someone's commented saying you can volunteer to help people write their cvs and find opportunities yes. If you yeah. go on do-it.org, that's an awesome website that's got loads of volunteer opportunities from loads of different charities. Um, it's the national kind of volunteering website. That's do-it.org. I'll put it in the comments. Yeah, as I said before as well, I've got quite a few, I've got, well, four or five websites too. Uh, I'm going to share the links in the chat in a minute. Um, and those have got practical ways that, you know, local charities, the, 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 one of them has got a directory. So put your postcode in. It will tell you wh which your local charity is that helps refugees. You can contact them and say, what do you need me to do? You know, is there anything I can do? And some of it is, is as I say, advocacy in a practical way. So go and sit with somebody and have a chat. Because again, we, if, if an employer can't do it to somebody, you know, can we as the public, you know, somebody doesn't know where to go and buy a suit for their interview, or they don't know which bus to go and catch to get to their, their first day at work or whatever, you know, you can, you can practically go and help somebody navigate your local area. Obviously, if you've got a spare room, 
if you can open that great but even if you can't you can still help refugees that are in your local area in a really sort of practical way so there's as i say you know loads of steps from from tiny you know tweet your mp and tell them to do something all the way up to housing a refugee or employing them you know and, and absolutely every step in between but there is something all of us can do to 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 help refugees and and you know hopefully in the event eventually get them back home Hannah, final thought. I feel like we've said a lot. Just everything <laughs> you just said. Yeah, we have, we have. Yeah. Rach, have you got a final thought? No. no oh, no, you usually, you always have one. I know, but it's, it's all been said. Is this? Yeah, it's been a. We've covered a lot today, so I think it's uh, you know to digest that. I've I've got nothing nothing more to to add without yeah. kicking off another 20-minute conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, my final thought would just be, just be a bit compassionate. You know, again, it, it's really easy to think about the, the practical things that somebody might need and, and forget about the, you know, the subtle things in the background, like the culture that they've come from, like the barriers that they've already faced. And, what you know, as we said at the beginning, women face this even more. Women have come from a, usually come from a very patriarchal society so they've got all of that then they've been through the trauma of war or famine or whatever it is that's had to make them flee and then they're coming here and they've got all of these additional burdens of, of language and education and qualifications and all the rest of it so there's a whole raft of stuff that you see behind that that one person and we've got to try and look at it holistically so if nothing else be compassionate there we go i'm turning into uh, what's the name ellen hashtag be kind there we go. Ellen. Yeah, whilst nah, I go and whilst I go and beat up my employees in the background. <laughs> yeah, she's fucking dead in the water, mate. Cancel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you to both of you. That was a good session back. We've had a nice break. We are back on now to um, every two weeks. And our next session in two weeks' time is about uh, discrimination in the workplace and how do we get more diversity into the workplace. Uh, and we've got um, Saj is our guest. She's coming on to – she does um, oh, nice. recruitment. So, yeah, Saj is going to come on and It'll talk to us about increasing diversity in the workplace. So that would be a good session. 4th of July, I think fab, it is. Yeah. She will. She will. Thank you very much, both of you. It is indeed. I'll speak Goodbye. to you soon. Bye. 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 Bye.